0: The first degree. 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 The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
2: I think I felt guilt because I was with her right before it happened. And um, I could not have even told you something was wrong. I mean, it was completely normal. And she needed help if she was going through being controlled by this guy she was dating at the time, if she felt like she couldn't talk to her friends and get help or get out of this horrible relationship.
3: Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. How are we feeling, guys? I feel great.
4: I feel pretty good.
3: You know what I realized today? What? So we had a meeting today, a lunch meeting. We did. We did. And I really realized that you are my people When we all ordered drinks at lunch. Right. And then the person that we were meeting with, we didn't know if he drank or if he would judge us for drinking at 12 p.m. And he ordered a drink as well.
5: I Well, I felt really alone when I ordered my second drink and everybody (laughs) else passed.
3: Well, you know what? I would have ordered one, but I was just going slower than you were.
5: And then... Per And then, yeah, Alexis the Tangling Clutter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't fuck around with drinks. When me and Jack lived together, I she'd always we'd order drinks and I didn't like to hold them in my hand when yeah. we'd be out so I would just throw them back and Alexis put and them I down. would go out
3: for wine at La Poubelle like up the street yeah. we'd just sit there and have a glass of wine or well, I would have a glass of wine Alexis would have four Three or four <laughs> yeah in the time that I would have my one
5: it was crazy some would say that I'm um, an adventurer some would say that I'm an alcoholic i mean who's <laughs> to say the it's, truth it's tomato tomato really yeah and wine i mean people in europe drink wine all day and no one says shit to them i know you know you're just chic i know and you're i are european you're sophisticated and that was a weekend or an evening i wouldn't do that at work except today when i drink during lunch <laughs> <laughs> oopsies oops well you know what it's it's just life i'm under a lot of stress yeah it's
4: um,
3: just life billy what day is it today
4: well today is sadie hawkins day
3: Oh, do you guys remember that song? Sadie Hawkins dance in my khaki pants. No, there's nothing better. Oh, oh, oh! it was an emo band. I've They're, never we're heard K. this. Oh, it was so good. Girls, that's right. the guys. But it's always I, awesome guys. I have
4: to read you from and we get this from check a day. Check But here's here's what they say. This is a quote. Sadie Hawkins day originated from Al Cap's comic strip. Little Abner. Which ran from 34 to 1977. In the comic strip, Sadie Hawkins, and this is how they describe her, was the homely-looking daughter of Hexabaya Hawkins.
0: Wow! And
4: at the age of 35, she had not yet married. In an effort to marry her off, Hexabaya brought together all the unmarried men in the town of Dogpatch and had them run out of town while being pursued by Sadie Hawkins. Whoever lost the foot race had to marry Sadie Hawkins. <laughs>
3: Wait, they had to run out, yes. and the loser married her.
4: Yes, and this ended up being <gasps> is this true. This and ended that's up where being Sadie John Johnster. Right. No, it's a, it's a comic strip.
3: Um, oh, yeah. but that's where Sadie Hawkins originated yeah. from?
4: Has we, ha, yeah, yeah. That Hexa is Byatt so fucked up. named this Sadie Hawkins Day. The unmarried women of Dogpatch thought the day was a good idea, and Sadie Hawkins Day became a yearly event where unmarried women chased bachelors who had to marry the woman who caught them if they were dragged across the finish line before sunset. <laughs> that's not down. what Sadie
3: Hawkins' dances are,
5: so it doesn't matter.
3: But that's where it originated from. You know, everything... Like decent originated from something fucked Sucked up. up. Uh huh. I do know that. Wow. Yeah. That is. So that's like we're like yeah, sadie Hawkins, women, woo girls, and it's because y- you chase a guy and the slowest one is the one that you win. Hey,
5: hey guys, spoiler. Go Google what "Ring Around the Rosie" means.
0: Ring yeah. Around the Rosie <laughs> yeah. is
5: about the Black Plague, <laughs> isn't <know>. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any child nursery rhyme is
3: about some kind of a plague. Oh yeah. Yep. Or somebody getting murdered mm-hmm. or something. All right. Well, I'm happy to hear to ruin your childhood memories. The, um,
4: the first degree. Yeah, On the first well,
3: as, as we do. Right. Also stick around for killing time because we're talking about our horrors in life and just it got inspired by if anybody has heard of the McCammy Manor was mm-hmm. our inspiration for our killing time and we really want to do an episode about it. So if anybody knows anybody that has gone, let us know.
5: Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety
4: because this could be you.
5: As I personally remember it, High school is a time in our lives when our friendships mean the absolute most to us. They mean more than they ever did before and more than they ever will. High school years are right in that sweet spot where we start keeping secrets from our parents and pouring ourselves into others as we build our identities. However, there is one type of relationship that has the ability to derail even the strongest of bonds between girls and their friendships. And that's of course an all-consuming, all-encompassing high school romance with a bad boy.
4: Today's story takes us to Stafford, Virginia. And according to the Stafford website, quote, Stafford has been a crossroads for many important events and travelers in history, from Pocahontas and Captain John Smith, to George Washington and his fabled Chopping of the Cherry Tree, to the countless Civil War soldiers' encampments and hospitals. Stafford has centuries of tales to tell, and as we're going to learn as of 2010, which is where our story starts, those stories were far from being over.
3: The story begins with a best friendship between two girls, one named Audrina and the other named Ashley.
2: Ashley and I met, I want to say it was the end of our freshman year of high school, so I knew her um, my freshman year, but we I hadn't started dating my long term high school quote unquote sweetheart boyfriend until that summer. And um her so his friend, my ex's friend, was um her boyfriend. And so we met by just, you know, being in the same neighborhood, hanging out a lot over the summer. We were both younger than him by two years. So that was the summer that he was also going off to college. And, um, you know, we all, the four of us did everything together from what I remember. I would drive around with her in her Red Jeep and we would listen to country music, which was never my genre of choice, but she started getting me into it and even gave me a Taylor Swift CD. Her boyfriend left for college and they were still together at the time. He went to a Virginia college, but it was still at least an hour or two away. And, you know, when you're in high school, pulled in a different direction than somebody who's in college so um yeah that's that's pretty much where our friendship took off um you know when he left her and I became closer than ever being in the same grade we also had English class together um we parked next to each other in the parking lot every day would bring me coffee sometimes for McDonald's Mm -hmm. or Chick-fil-A, Chicken Nuggets, you know, it was just one of those, like, easy high school girlfriend friendships. So Ashley had a ton of friends.
3: She was super popular in high school. She got good grades and she was so committed to her studies that she was slated to graduate early.
2: She was very fun loving and we never really had these serious conversations. You know, it wasn't ever like, oh, I hate this. I hate that about my life. You know, teenage angst. That's why she was a breath of fresh air in my life because, you know, that was a hard time in my life. You know, you're ninth, tenth, eleventh grade, you know, you're Going through all the teenage years, and, and we would just goof around. We, like I've mentioned before, we would, would just listen to music and tie dye shirts and just talk about like makeup, you know, sports. And I just remember nothing was ever a serious conversation with her.
4: Ashley was the youngest and the only girl in the Dye family, and her parents were Brenda and Ronald Dye. Her brothers were David, Ronnie Jr., Scott, and Brandon Dye. And Brenda was the quintessential loving mother. She doted on her children and her grandchildren, and she used Facebook a lot. She used Facebook to post updates about everything that was going on with her family, the milestones. And her photo albums contained pictures of her five children as well as the grandchildren that she was super proud of. And... Judging by the uh, Facebook page, she also loved uh, country music and shared a number of YouTube music videos of performers like Brad Paisley, Justin Moore, and George Strait.
5: So the Dye family lived in a gorgeous red brick home with these giant white columns in the front. And then in front of the house, there was this amazing, beautiful, bright green lawn. It really was idyllic. It looked like a beautiful southern, I mean, this was Virginia amazing place to grow up. And it was the perfect home for a seemingly perfect family.
2: That was the funny part to me that didn't really occur until, honestly, around this time, you know, that I started rehashing all of these memories, that I never really went to her house that often. I mean, more often we were at either at my house um, or we were driving around or doing something, you know, or we're at our boyfriend's house. Um, But I had met her parents. Um, I had been to her house a handful of times. But her mom, I remember, um, she was a very controlling mother. She was a a very caring mother. I mean, there wasn't ever a time I ever doubted that she had Ashley's best interest in mind. I remember the time um, she came over to my house. Um, Her mom had... She would actually always have her call her from my house phone to confirm that she was at my house and, um, you know, that she wasn't lying or that she had gotten there safely. I don't really know exactly why, but I assume it was more so to confirm that she was there and got there safely. Yeah, other than that, I remember hanging out in her basement sometimes and playing games and um, talking about, she would sometimes tell me about how... Her mom was really strict with her, and she thinks it's because she had older brothers that were significantly older in age than her, and um, it was just, like, a weird dynamic between all of them, you know, trying to, I guess, just for her mom to figure out how to treat Ashley after having two grown children leave the house. Well before she, you know, was raising Ashley. I mean, I... It was completely normal. Some parents were strict and some parents were not. So as we know,
5: Ashley broke up with her boyfriend who moved away to go to college. But she was beautiful and laid back and chill and funny and sweet, just as Audrina had explained she was. And it didn't take her long to get back into the dating game.
2: So yeah, Ashley was... And I'm sure still is a beautiful girl. She... um. And she didn't even try. And that was what was so amazing about her. I mean, she she had this like nonchalant personality and it was just amazing. I mean yes, physically she's blonde hair, blue eyes, she's just gorgeous, but she would just wear like a hoodie and jeans every day and I remember thinking, How does she still look so nice? You know, she had naturally straight hair and didn't have to wake up the crack a dawn to do it so naturally when she went through her breakup um, I don't really remember her being sad she didn't really show emotion and you know that was nice for a friend in high school because everyone was so emotional at that time but so I think her way of dealing with it might have been you know just meeting guys outside of high school and so she worked at Best Buy she was always talking about different guys that she would meet and you know nothing really escalated with a lot of them I don't know if they were coworkers or guys that would come in frequently but I remember you know a lot of guys that worked that would come and see her or you know would have little crushes on her or and so yeah she never never had a hard time meeting people never had a hard time getting along with people um definitely guys always had their eye on her So Ashley began
3: dating a 19-year-old named Eddie Tuning. It's not really clear how they met, but Eddie had gone to the same high school as Ashley and Audrina for a time. Ashley was 17 at the time. They started dating, and while two years doesn't really sound like much of an age difference, there was a huge contrast between Ashley and Eddie's lives. For one, Eddie was already a father. He had a baby with his last girlfriend, and... The things didn't really end that amicably as they split. And Eddie was also not working. So it's safe to say that Eddie didn't really have that much going on beyond having a new, beautiful, and young girlfriend in Ashley.
5: And as far as Eddie's interests are concerned, he's rather elusive. But I did find one publicly searchable hobby that we can comment on. So he raced cars. And according to loveracing.com, Love racing, Eddie Tuning drives the number twenty two UCAR class car. His home track is Old Dominion Speedway, but he can also be found racing Potomac Speedway. He lives in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Eddie started racing in 2008 in the UCAR class at Old Dominion Speedway because he had been on the pit crew for his uncle and he got Eddie into racing. The uncle did. His first win was an O ten in the UCAR class at Potomac Speedway highlights include first win at Potomac Speedway during his first time at the track. He was quoted and said, the thrill of racing is the drop of the green flag and the rush.
2: I do remember that at this time, there was a couple of people coming in and out that she was, you know, just being a typical person who goes through a breakup, you just try and get yourself back out there. So I don't remember this specific case of how they met. Um, after the holidays, And I have these, like, weird triggers in my mind that help me, like, remember that because, like, I remember her mom had given me this cute little, like, Christmas piece that as a present for the holidays. I remember we were still hanging out very often around that time, so it must have been some time, like, after all of that, that she had met Eddie. And then really after that, the only time that I would see her was In our English classes, we sat next to each other in English class. And we would write notes to each other and pass them back and forth. And that's, like, pretty much when she would have the time to, like, update me and fill me in on, you know, how Eddie was and what they were doing and all of that. Then she told me he had a kid already who was two or so, young kid, and that, you know, there was bumpy water bumpy, you know, rough waters with his, um, the the biological mother of the kid, and that she was, like, not really in the picture, but they weren't getting along, and they were, you know, I guess there were some custody issues that I kind of just stayed out of. It was above my young brain to even think about that stuff in high school, so um, I do remember her telling me that, and I do remember her telling me that it didn't really phase her, but her mom was just... Not not having it.
4: So Eddie isn't exactly a mother or father's dream for their daughter. You know, he's a race car driver. Um, a
5: hobby race car driver. A hobby
4: race car driver. His, he has, a
5: race car driver would
4: be tight. That's
5: not what he is. No. Yeah. But, you at know, the Potomac Speedway. Yeah, he's yeah, not well, winning well, like he, well, millions of also, dollars. He
4: also has, uh, he, his racing hero is Tony Stewart, and Tony Stewart was like the bad boy of, right. of yeah, NASCAR hell racing. Yeah, the Tony Stewart? Uh, he, w- he was actually a really good race car driver. I do uh so um you know Ashley was going places, she was amb- ambitious. Uh, you know, they felt that she was, you know, too good for him. And the fact that Eddie was a father troubled them. Now, this is the kind of thing is pretty common in more adult relationships, but for a 17-year-old, that's some pretty heavy and emotionally stuff advanced stuff that's on there where like, oh, the guy that you're going out with has a kid. At 19. And you, and, yeah. I mean, if you're, you're 17 years
3: old, I mean, we're you're so young. Your brain is not developed. You're not a Exactly equipped to
5: handle that that as an adult would. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's I don't think I think under certain circumstances, there are exceptions to every rule. Yeah. You know, if if somebody had this happen, I mean lots of people have young sex, it happens. Yeah. But if you're this incredible person and you are ambitious and and all these other things and you're you're giving off all these other good vibes, I'm saying People can get past it, but off the bat, this isn't uncommon for a parent to hear, to see one thing and be like, no, this is bad. Yeah. Well, and it's
3: also one thing to happen to you, but then having it brought into your life from somebody
4: else
5: is a different thing as well. Absolutely.
4: Yeah. But Ashley decided that she was in love with him and despite only having been together for just four months.
5: Right. And like we said, it's true. Oftentimes. I mean, As a teenager, I for sure thought I knew everything. I thought I was the smartest person ever. And our parents, with the wisdom that they have, depending on what age they are, they can see darkness that children and teens are unable to see at such ages of naivete. And they understandably were worried about the future of their daughter in this case. Ashley was, I mean, she graduated early because she wanted to start college early. She was very ambitious. Schoolwork was not hard for her. And they really didn't want her missing opportunities and getting stuck in a rut because a guy she loves, quote unquote, at seventeen, is doesn't share the same ambition gene that she has.
2: Yeah, I mean, from my understanding it was the same reasons why I had my hesitations um about him. It was because, you know, he was nineteen years old, he didn't have a job. And he, you know, was kind of a bad boy, you know, to any mother that raises red flags and that raises concern. And that's the basis of of, um, why she didn't like him and their relationship.
3: But luckily, despite Eddie's perceived shortcomings, the dye family was really making an effort to get along with him. They also didn't really want their daughter to isolate from them because of their unwillingness to try to give Eddie a chance for her sake. And like we mentioned, Eddie didn't have a job. So Ashley's dad, Ron was nice enough to hire him to work on one of his masonry projects. One of Ashley's brothers was also working with her dad. So every day the three of them drove off to work together and the Dye family also had a vacation coming up and they extended the invitation to Eddie. So they were really trying to include him in their family and kind of overlook the things that they maybe saw as red flags.
5: Yeah, they were saying, we're not thrilled, but... <laughs> we're going to give him a chance. We're going to give him a chance, and we also don't want to alienate our daughter from us. And also, like, we're going to give him the opportunity to... Like,
3: you know, there are a million reasons why you couldn't find a job. So, he, they're going to give him a job and offer him work and welcome him into the family in that aspect. It's the best move when you're a parent, too. It is.
2: I remember, I was shocked when she told me that he started working for her dad because... I thought that they the whole family wasn't in support of their relationship i I mean, I just I don't think that they were he was allowed to come over and he was allowed to at the time, you know, he was allowed to be her boyfriend, I guess, but they just weren't supporting it. but I mean, you know, she was seventeen years old, I believe, so they weren't going to, you know dictate every decision she ever made. So I think they were giving her the freedom to be with him but you know with boundaries when he started working with her family yeah I just thought that was a really weird way in like I thought that was really weird close relationship or a close tie for him to make and so early on in a relationship like it, it didn't align with what I had heard her saying about what her mom thought or I don't know what her dad thought. I really didn't know much about what her dad and brother thought, but I guess they liked him enough to offer him a job.
4: And to onlookers, though, it seemed like Ashley's relationship with Eddie was starting to change her. And some friends noticed that she seemed different, and even some of her uh, closest teachers observed that she was becoming withdrawn from her family and her friendships, and she was socializing with them a lot less. And it's no surprise that Ashley's family was becoming increasingly worried about her. What was going on? What is this relationship going to do to this daughter's future? Because they really felt like she was going places.
5: And while Audrina didn't witness any obvious changes to Ashley's personality, one thing was becoming really clear to her. She was seeing her best friend significantly less than before she started dating Eddie.
2: I actually never met Eddie in person. I never once met him and I don't even have an impression of him other than what he painted for me. So I think that speaks to the fact that, I don't know, I mean, I never saw her change. So keeping that in mind, like I, I don't see, I never saw a, a character change in her as others supposedly did I thought she acted the same consistently towards me but yeah never meeting him kind of like supports the fact that I think he was maybe distancing her from her friends and family um we never had even made plans to double date or anything like that um nor was I really trying to to be honest I definitely thought her left outside of school um it's the you know hanging out at school and having lunch together having English together and parking next to each other was consistent. But yeah, I don't think we really did much outside of school when they started seeing each other. So,
5: Audrina and Ashley are best friends. And you know how tight that, what that means in high school. Yeah. And there was something really weird going on because Audrina had never even met Eddie. And her theory is that it was because he was isolating. He didn't want... Ashley spending extra time with friends. He had no interest in getting to know her friends. He kind of was taking control over Ashley's social life and her calendar of activities and all that sort of thing. But Ashley and Audrina still had an English class together every day. And that's where they would pass notes. And every morning they would park their cars next to each other at school and walk. So they had their school time together still, even though Eddie was sort of hijacking the extracurricular time. And she heard a lot about Eddie, but what she was hearing, she really, really didn't like.
2: Class, and we used to sit literally right next to each other. Most of this was told to me in class um, then. I don't really remember her saying anything other than her having her wisdom teeth taken out, or if she had some... Small procedure done where she was taking medication for it, and something happened. And I remember her telling me that she believed she was pregnant after one of those nights. I I can't speak to whether it was consensual or not, but I believe she was telling me that. That's when I I started. And then also the fact that he was, you know, when you're 17 years old and you're dating somebody that's older. It's even two years older, it's kind of a bigger deal than it is when you're like late like 20s, 30s.
4: So, Eddie was isolating Ashley from her friends and her family. And this kind of behavior, we've talked about this before, is a type of coercive control. And coercive control is a form of abuse, psychological abuse that includes manipulation, stalking, gaslighting, and beyond. And one of the big ways that you start seeing it is as they start isolating the person mm-hmm. from from, right. from their family. And we know of certain characters who exhibit this type of behavior. And we saw this a lot in uh, Dirty John when we were talking with yes. Tara Newell.
3: And you could see, like, especially that's a really good example of the escalation of it, where it starts very, like,
5: nice and love bomb yes. and And then it it, it progresses to your daughters can't come to thanksgiving which yeah. is what happened yeah. which is a wild thing crazy but, but can be explained away yeah a million different ways and, oh we're starting our own family our own traditions like that seem harmless and loving but mm-hmm. they it's very manipulative in the way they cut people off from their lives and
3: i think another uh point in that too is when it's happening to you and if you're in it you don't realize it's happening as much as other people no. around you do and this so- is exactly
4: what you know you Think about Bear, the Bear Brook podcast and Allent- Allentown 4 and Terry Rasmussen. This is what he yeah. did. Mm-hmm. He right. would get a woman and then just completely isolate her and then skip town with her. Yeah, And he did it over and over and over again. And by
5: then the family was used to not hearing from her mm-hmm. because, yeah. you know, she's off with her new boy. They're right. traveling in an RV across the, like they don't expect to hear from them. So then when they go missing, nobody yes, notices. It's not a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So, and this type of abuser is difficult to spot in real life. And as we all know, when it comes to an abuser and a need to control the person in their purview, things can quickly escalate to violence.
5: And what you said about them not appearing in real life, I mean, Dirty John's a great example. If you watch the Bravo show that talked about Dirty John, that, that was focused on that case, it's like, yeah, it's a character who's manipulative and you're seeing it. When you're in it, living it day to day, I am mean, Deborah Newell, for example... It's not easy to spot. I
3: mean, listen, I lived a little bit of that in Mm -hmm. my past relationship and I didn't see any of the signs until I was out of it. So if you're in it, it's your blinders are
5: on. Well, what's interesting, if we're going to talk personal stuff when in that relationship, I didn't see it from him. I only saw it from how you were from responding how absolutely unhinged. I was. Yeah, So I didn't, but he was that good where yeah. I knew him and I, I didn't see what he was doing. I was like, what's the problem? But you were so miserable with him that yeah. that was the only time in the 15 years we've been friends. I ever saw you like that. Yeah.
3: I mean, I was unhinged. I was hysterical. I was like very mentally unstable, because you know, manipulative, but that's the thing. It's like, you don't, and I still didn't even realize it was happening to me. I thought it was cause I was on birth control. Right. So, It's because he told you that, yeah. Well, you know, well, there's another, they're
5: good at that, they're good at that,
3: yeah. Very gaslighting, manipulating, yes. But again, it's very, it's kind of hard, it's way easier in retrospect, absolutely. Everything is, yeah.
2: This all happened so fast. Um, I think they were only together for maybe three months, maybe four.
0: Um,
2: so yeah, my timeline is rocky because it wasn't like this abuse or this craziness was going on even very long, you know, and I hear pieces of it, like in passing almost, like literally passing notes, but, um, or maybe a text here or there, but I, yeah, I, I don't remember her speaking outright, saying, this guy is crazy, helped me. I remember her almost like, I felt like she was brainwashed a little bit because she, she had great taste and she was a brilliant, smart, cheerful, amazing person. Um, And normally I would trust her judgment in people, you know, if she didn't like somebody or somebody was off a little bit, she would pick up on it. But to hear her defending somebody that, you know, had these attributes and these characteristics, I found a little strange, but she still never changed herself.
3: All right. So at this point it's 2011 and we're approximately four months into Ashley's relationship with Eddie It's the week of the 4th of July, and to give you guys a vibe of what's going on in culture, Adele's Rolling in the Deep was holding steady on the Billboard charts for the seventh week straight, and ironically, Crazy Stupid Love was in theaters. And throughout the duration of their relationship, the tension surrounding the subject of Eddie escalated very, very fast. Her parents were super worried about Ashley, but they didn't know what to do. And they feared making this situation worse by doing anything extreme, like banning her from seeing him or talking to him. So they probably felt like they were very stuck.
5: Yes. So right before the 4th of July, Ashley went over to Audrina's to hang out. And have some girl time which had become a rare occurrence yeah. they hadn't been doing much of this since ashley started dating eddie
2: so i remember i don't know if this was like a text conversation or like an in-person conversation that ashley and i had but for some reason she brought up like her concerns about possibly being you know pregnant or, or you know just like having all these these fears about her mom getting you know, having these doubts about her relationship. and um, I remember, you know, that was like really the last I had heard of of that. I, I hadn't really seen her since that topic was brought up. And then, you know, she comes she so we made plans uh, to basically celebrate the 4th of July on her own at my place before the actual 4th of July I believe I want to say it was maybe the 3rd or 2nd of July that she came over to my house and um, I remember you know per usual she called her mom from my phone my health phone and then We went into my mudroom, and we put on some music, and we started tie-dyeing shirts, and I just remember our conversation was completely not about Eddie. It was, you know, just typical girl stuff. We weren't even really talking about anything negative or boys or really anything. We were just goofing around, you know, and I remember getting tie-dye everywhere, and I still have a pair of sweatpants that have, like, a tie-dye smiley face, and You know, just kind of being girls. And um, everything was normal. I mean, I I really, this is what drives me crazy to this day. I like to say that I'm intuitive and I pick up on, you know, people who are going through a hard time or people that are acting weird or people that are not being honest. And uh, yeah, I guess I can't really say that because I thought that everything was perfectly normal from the time we spent together on uh, the beginning of July.
5: When the 4th of July arrived, Audrina couldn't reach Ashley and she never heard from her. And Audrina made multiple attempts to reach her and she never emerged. She never responded. She never texted, never called or anything. And this is kind of an odd thing to happen between two teens with cell phones. But what are you what are you gonna do? She, you know, didn't hear from her friend, and that was that. But there would eventually be a good explanation for Ashley's radio silence. It was July 5th at around 6 PM when Ashley's father and brother arrived home from work. They entered their home, and things seemed very normal inside the house. The die home was two stories, but there was also a split level and Went down. There was a staircase that went down to the basement that was right next to where the front door is, right when you walk in. And the basement was finished, and it's where the die kids and the die parents would entertain, and they had a finished bathroom down there, and it was kind of like a second living room. Ron went down there for something, and as he descended the stairs, he moved towards the bathroom, and he could see something on the floor. And what Ron discovered... When he walked into that bathroom was the worst case scenario for any family man, an experience no one deserves, a discovery no one should have to make.
4: The police arrived on the scene in minutes and they pulled up to this beautiful home at the 700 block of Perry Drive in this beautiful neighborhood and they found a family that was devastated, utterly devastated. They tape off the crime scene, they start collecting evidence. The victim had two shotgun wounds to the face and torso as well as numerous sharp force injuries and there was blood all over the bathroom floor and the walls and the shotgun and the knife were actually next to the victim and the victim was 62-year-old Brenda Dye, Ron's wife of more than 40 years.
3: The crime scene and the crime itself was grisly to say the least. Who would do something like this and more importantly, why? The police started their investigation right there on the scene and the first person you always have to look into is her husband and close family members. They were able to rule out Ron immediately because his son David was proof that Ron hadn't been home all day because they had been together working.
5: Right, so police enter the crime scene. They move through the home. And they're doing so with an open mind. Because truthfully, once the husband is ruled out for the most part, the possibilities are kind of endless. Because going into it statistically, you think it's the husband, as we've said. Was this a random attack? Was this a burglary gone awry? Something dark from Brenda's past or an adulterous relationship? Something. It could be any of these things or it could be none of these things. So with an open mind, Despite being human, the detectives must try to avoid jumping to conclusions. So Detective Chris Cameron, who is one of the lead detectives on this case, said in an interview with Fredericksburg.com, when you get to any scene, you always treat it as the worst crime possible and you rule things out as you investigate. If you get locked onto one theory, you get a tendency to try to prove that theory and you'll miss details about the case that are blatantly obvious.
4: And that's exactly right. It's perfect. So you have to, that's what you have to do first. You have to study the scene. And when they're looking at the scene, there's household items and papers that have been thrown off of the tabletops. Furniture has been turned over and it looked like the place had been robbed. But something about the scene was just off Because they start opening the drawers and looking at the scene, and it's clear that the more expensive valuables, jewelry, credit cards, cash, prescription medication, electronics, those are all present, and a lot of the stuff is in plain view. So the scene appeared to be staged, but by who?
3: And they studied the characteristics of the bathroom where they'd found Brenda. They observed that the 12 gauge shotgun that was lying there actually had its safety switch on. They took note of this. The investigation went from one room to the next and they eventually landed on Ashley's bedroom. Things appeared typical of a 17 year old college bound girl. And what they discovered in there basically was a gold mine in terms of getting into the brain of a teenage high school girl. They found her diary, they found letters between Ashley and Eddie. They read these letters, and much of what they see is just two puppy-loved-eyed teenagers. But however, some of what they referenced presented pretty glaring red flags. The police found one letter that referenced a plan to KBM. And while they didn't know what this for sure meant, one of the detectives guessed, and I also guessed, that it could be Kill Bitch Mom.
5: Okay, but... It's kind of normal for teenagers who are having sort of a tense situation to to rage write in their diaries. Yeah. I know I did it and then my dad found my diary. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I'm like going back to it. So that brings me to what's happening here is are these the normal ramblings of an angsty teen? And also it's like are you trying to like pull very very far pieces together? Yes, exactly. Like, is it saying she won't let me go to this concert? I want to kill my mom. I mean, their tone is everything. And in, in writing, it's very difficult to figure out what exactly is going on here. But despite that, you know, they in no way, shape or form believed Ashley was even a consideration until they found these letters and these diary entries. But once they did... They had to look into her. And as I started to, Ashley was the opposite of a problem teenager. She was great in school. She graduated early, like we said, and she was very ambitious. She had a job at Best Buy, she had friends and boyfriends. She also had never been in trouble with the law zero criminal record, not even a parking ticket. She was an ideal teen. Like they were looking at this with doubt, I think
4: yeah, but given these circumstances and the existence of these letters and this sort of code word, this kbm and and you know, they're starting to think, well, well, you know, they got to consider every possibility, even something as unlikely as a mom being killed by her seventeen year old daughter when, by all accounts and everything everybody that they were talking to, they got along well. But they had to take a hard, look at ashley
5: well that being said though i think at this time too they are learning about eddie in the, the mm-hmm. presence of eddie in her life and his place in the family yeah. so i think they look at them in tandem when i was growing up i took french in high school but i could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today.
1: month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com/degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
5: It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. the realreel.com. The realreal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermès, Cartier, Prada, Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
3: The police found some interesting things at the scene, but before they can really decide where their theories are really lying, they need to find out where Ashley and Eddie were during Brenda's murder. The police spoke to each of Brenda's four sons David had been with Ron, his father, working on the masonry project, and the other three were all accounted for being with work or with other family members. And nothing nefarious existed in Brenda's past. She'd been married to Ron for 40 years, and while nothing is ever perfect, it seemed like the couple had a marriage that most would really strive towards. They had five beautiful kids, a beautiful home, and recently grandchildren were added to the mix. So everything seemed normal on most accounts.
5: Yes, and when the police turned the attention to figuring out where Ashley and Eddie were, they learned something off the bat. I mean, they were sitting there talking to the Dye family, talking to Ron, and they learned that Eddie had actually been with Ron and son David on this masonry project. Remember, we said he had given him a job and they were working together on this masonry project. So he had actually gone with him to work that morning and returned to their house with them that night right before brenda was discovered and when police asked ron about this one of the only things he noted was that eddie was on his phone a lot that day he was texting a lot that day but that pretty much answered the question as far as where eddie was he was not there he was with ron and david the son and husband of the victim all day but where was ashley so they learned that Ashley was working at Best Buy and had been for a couple hours when all of this transpired.
3: And news of Brenda's death was met with an outpouring of grief online and on Facebook, those who knew her, they turned her wall into this digital shrine of her life. Brenda's post from days before her death revealed more about who she was as a person. She used Facebook to express her Christian faith and frequently asked for and offered up prayers for herself and others.
4: So the investigation keeps going, and it's determined that Brenda likely was killed about four hours before she'd been discovered by her husband and son. And they had found that Ashley was working when they arrived at the scene, but she may not have been working when Brenda was killed. And the police spoke to everybody in the immediate die family about the relationship dynamics between all the people that were involved and how they um, were dealing with Brenda you know what their relationships were like with Brenda and most of them expressed the most sort of disdain or suspicion whatever you want to call it towards one person and we know that Eddie was the most recent new variable in all of their lives
2: mm-hmm.
4: life with the family including Ashley had been pretty idyllic for 17 years until Eddie showed up.
3: So police have a plan to pick up Ashley from Best Buy when she's finished with her shift. And as this is all happening, investigating officers are heavy in information-seeking mode. They want to know anyone and everyone who is connected to the family members of the Dye family. They want to know their associates, their criminal history, their romantic relationships, their work connections, and of course, any nefarious activity that might be sticking out. But they also wanted to know about their hobbies, anything that takes up space in their lives. And while a family with many members would have a bunch of different connections to many different hobbies, a common denominator they uncovered was the hobby of hunting. The Die family were avid hunters. But remember, this is Virginia. Most people in their town were also avid hunters. And not to mention the fact that the Dye household was full of boys and a lot of them were significantly older than Ashley. So it's
5: not really strange that hunting was something that they all had in common. There was something at the scene that stood out to them as they were going over the characteristics of all of this evidence. You see, when they found the murder weapon, which was this 12-gauge shotgun that was laying next to Brenda, they noticed that the safety switch had been turned on. And to them, this suggested a couple of things. One, that whomever used the gun on Brenda had experience with hunting. Someone versed in proper gun handling, someone who knew how to lock up a weapon for safety purposes after it was used. Beyond that, perhaps... The shooter had experience with this gun in particular, and even beyond that, it doesn't seem like something a random robber would do. Pick up a gun at the home and then lock it for safety after. Right. Generally speaking, I feel like if it was in the heat of a uh, botched robbery, you're you'd not going to just the throw on. it. Yeah, you throw it and run. Yeah, it'd be a little bit more frantic and frazzled and less deliberate than. Locking it for safety after.
4: And it was determined that the gun used to kill Brenda had actually been Ashley's shotgun. And in the news reports, they described her as an avid hunter. The police pick up Ashley from Best Buy, they bring her to the police department, and she has kind of a lukewarm reaction to the news of her mother's death. And that being said, though, everybody reacts differently to to news. She's 17 years old. Who knows? There is no normal reaction to it. But they do note that that is kind of a lukewarm reaction. And they ask her point blank if she was involved. She says no. She keeps saying no. And she keeps saying no. She's adamant. In no way was I involved in this.
3: The police are also questioning Eddie Chuning. Eddie's alibi is airtight. He'd been working with Ashley's father and brother at a job in Alexandria, Virginia at the time. And while, yes, this is true, the police started piecing together a theory based on what they'd learned over the course of their investigation. They'd learned the relationship between Eddie and Ashley had been a point of contention amongst the Dye family members. And they'd heard that Ashley had gone from being essentially this perfect child to having a tumultuous relationship with her parents, all because of her older boyfriend, Eddie.
4: And it's becoming abundantly clear that the Dye family was... Tolerating Eddie for the sake of their daughter. And they've had one interview with Ashley where she denied any involvement and Eddie denied any involvement as well or even knowing anything that happened. They asked Ashley for her phone and while she handed it over, they were suspicious that she deleted any messages that could be useful. So detectives on the case decided to pull her cell phone records to see if there was anything she may have been hiding from them.
5: Right, and remember, we're hyper-focused on the movements of this family. But the outside world at this time has no idea what's happening. Audrina had no idea why Ashley had never returned her calls and never showed up. And think about that. It's like your best friend goes radio silent and this is happening and you have no idea. So she did everything she could to try to get in touch with her. But as we did back in 2011... She ended up posting on Ashley's wall, on her Facebook wall and said, call me, where are you? What are you doing?
2: So she left after we hung out and a couple of days went by. This is what I'm unsure of. I can't remember if it was literally one day or if I had been trying to reach out to her since we hung out, you know, the following day and then couldn't get a hold of her for a couple of days. I can't remember what the what the scenario was, but I do remember the last attempt I had, I had texted her a couple of times and hadn't heard from her. Um, so I had posted on her Facebook, on her Facebook wall. And this was like, you know, back in the day where that's kind of what you would do and, you, you know, how you would talk to your friends everyone would post on each other's wall. It was like, Oh, did you post on my wall? I posted on your wall. So I, I remember posting on her Facebook wall Um hey, you know, something along the lines of like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while or text me, call me, whatever. And some time passed, I was contacted by Eddie. And we weren't friends on Facebook because like I had mentioned before, I had never met him. And I don't really think I expected him to be around that long. So I don't really think I I even thought it would be worth adding him on Facebook. So I was really surprised see him reach out to me and, you know, be the one to message me. He didn't post on my wall or, call, you know, respond to the comment. He direct messaged me and said something along the lines of, oh, Ashley's not going to be responding. Haven't you heard? Or I can't remember how he posted, it, but basically he was the one to tell me that something was up and that I wasn't going to hear it from my friend. And within 24 hours, I had heard the news. And I found out through a friend whose brother was a cop. And she had texted me that I was never going to believe what had happened. And I just, even thinking about it now, it's like, you know, I just froze.
3: And while Eddie was still free, when he responded to those Facebook messages with Audrina, he wouldn't be for long. Police had received Ashley's text message records, and what they saw would be chilling to even the most seasoned detective. The police learned that 17-year-old Ashley Dye and Eddie Tuning began discussing ending the life of Brenda Dye at 6.40 a.m. the day of her murder. In one message, Ashley said, quote, what if I freeze? I'm nervous like fuck. Eddie then responded, quote, stop talking about it, do it. Ashley sent Eddie updates about her mom's movements that day. And after hours of nervous texting in circles, she sent him one text that said, quote, shaking like hell, yes or no. And Eddie responded, quote, your call, babe.
5: Right. And after Eddie said your call, babe, there was a lapse in response and some time passed. And then Eddie received another text from Ashley that said her face is gone. Eddie responded that he didn't believe her. Ashley responded back, you will. And then Ashley sent a picture of what she had done to her mom. And Eddie responded with, quote unquote, damn. And, you know, we're reading texts. We don't know the tone. We don't know it. You know, this is like a creative, whatever you assign to this is like how disgusting it sounds. So Who knows? The conversation that followed detailed Ashley's plans to go to McDonald's and get a fish sandwich, go shopping, cash her paycheck, and then go to work at Best Buy. And throughout all of these messages, the couple repeatedly expressed their love for each other. Ashley several times wrote that she wasn't feeling good about what happened. She said, I look and I feel like shit. I don't ever want to think of this again. Following the murder, the two teens exchanged messages encouraging each other not to act suspiciously once the body was discovered.
4: So the police press Ashley again, and she confesses. She confesses to the fact that she and Eddie had planned to kill Brenda for months, but passively, jokingly. But it really got serious on the 4th of July because Ashley had an argument with her mom about going to see fireworks. And the specifics of that argument aren't clear, because this is the exact window of time where Ashley went silent and didn't show up for the plans with Audrina, who is our window into this entire situation. But either way, there was a fight about the fireworks. Ashley and Eddie stopped in a church parking lot and actually started to make real, actionable, executionable plans as far as committing this murder is concerned. And on the day it happened, Ashley and her mother had been arguing. And things got heated. And Ashley ran over to the gun cabinet, grabbed the shotgun, her shotgun, put gloves on, inserted three cartridges, courted her mother in the bathroom, and shot her. Afterwards, she cleaned the gun with Windex. As she's pouring out this confession, she's sobbing.
3: And after Ashley's confession, Detective Cameron insisted that she is the one that's going to tell her father who is responsible for killing his wife.
4: Wow.
5: I uh, read an article about this, that this was really different for this detective. And he said, you know, the worst part of this job is delivering the news. Yeah. And in this situation, it was so horrible. He's just like, no, dude, you are doing this. Yeah. You are telling your dad. That you did this because I'm sure the dad's brain never went to the possibility. No. Even if like the, even if the pieces are
3: in front of him, I'm sure he's shuffling them up to not make sense yeah. in that. Oh, and in, in
5: total, just defense mode, because you can't lose your wife and, and then, then your, your daughter. daughter. So your brain does a thing where it's just denial. Yeah. And, uh, this detective, I don't think they'd ever seen anything like this in this town. I've, I've
4: never heard of this before.
5: Yeah. Good on him, though, because that is... um, I mean, yeah, own up to your
3: fucking horrible... Decision-making. Decision-making.
5: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death
3: So Ashley was arrested. She was charged with first degree murder and she was taken to the local regional juvenile detention center.
5: So Audrina eventually learned that her friend, her best friend, had not only been arrested for the murder of her mother, Brenda, but she'd also confessed because this entire time rumors have been leaking out to the public she could explain this away like no other. She had a theory. She had a narrative for what had happened and none of it implicated Ashley. But hearing
2: that she confessed
5: hit her really hard.
2: I was like, well, okay. I watched a lot of, you know, Law and Order and all those shows, CSI. And I know that if you're 18, you'll be, or older, you'll be trying as an adult. So what she must have been doing was, preventing Eddie from being tried as an adult so she took the blame and you know he he's a parent he's got to stay out of prison to be this kid's father and he's 19 years old i think he was maybe 20 at this point and you know he he would have been tried as an adult whereas she thought that you know she wouldn't i don't know if that's true i what i made up in my head to believe that's why she would confess but I truly thought that here she is she's brainwashed she's brainwashed so much that now she's willing to take the fall for this guy to keep him out of jail thinking she won't get tried as an adult. And I I kept thinking I was like maybe she knows maybe you know she's going to confess but maybe she knows that there's evidence against him and they'll truly find out one day that it wasn't her. I think that that's what she must be thinking. That's that's what was going through my head because there's just no way I was accepting that she did it. Ashley did not have it in her to be the orchestrator of this. I, I'm I'm saying that confidently. I don't believe she would have ever killed her mom if she weren't being controlled by a manipulative person. Um, I she was a loving person. She she was just such a thoughtful person that I don't see a single you know, still in her body being able to put this together.
5: So obviously, Adrina is baffled because according to her, she saw nothing in her friend that would have led her to believe that any real trouble was going on. They were still having their casual discussions. Eddie wasn't coming up that much. They were tie dyeing t-shirts. They were listening to Taylor Swift. Nothing seemed amiss.
2: I detached from emotion. I, the first thing that I remember feeling, honestly, was that I can never eat Chick-fil-A again because that was like my thing with her, you know, she kind of introduced me to it. I had never really had, it wasn't really a big thing that I really liked until, you know, Ashley was in my life and the stupidest thought I had, the first thing I that crossed my mind was like, oh, I, I can't ever have Chick-fil-A again. I can't eat it without her. And I felt this immense guilt. Like, I almost just completely, and I, still maybe to this day, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I just have made up all these different stories in my head. Like, oh no, this is what really happened. You know, my my like true crime obsessed brain. is like, no, 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 this is a whole conspiracy. This is what really happened. And she would have never done it. Of course she didn't do it. And here's why. And here's what, you know, like rumors I heard that confirmed that I'm right. And, you know, I made up all these narratives and, and I just still felt guilt. Like, oh, she'll, she won't get to go to college. And, you know, we were both looking forward to that. But a, a lot of it was just guilt for some reason. I don't think that's even a normal reaction when you find out that your friend has done something horribly wrong. I think, you know, I think I felt guilt because I was with her right before it happened. And um I could not have even told you something was wrong. I mean, it was completely normal. Yeah, I think that's why I felt guilty. Um, I didn't. I, if she needed help, if she was going through, you know, c- being controlled by this guy she was dating at the time, if she felt like she couldn't talk to her friends and get help or get out of this horrible relationship, or even if that's not what she thought of it at the time, you know, just to talk to somebody, you know, knowing that she didn't talk to me Kind of made me feel so guilty because I thought that maybe I could have done something.
3: The text evidence and the events leading up to the murder are fucked up. At one point, Eddie suggested that Ashley cut her mother into pieces and dispose of the body in trash bags. Ashley said that she couldn't do that. At a At 1.46 p.m., the day that Brenda was killed and minutes before they believed her time of death, she texted Eddie, I love you, I'm scared. A few minutes later, as we said, she wrote, her face is gone. Ashley later told Eddie to act normally as if nothing had happened, and she said, you know nothing, I know nothing, we're having a normal day.
5: Yes, and Ashley later said that she only agreed to kill her mother after Eddie threatened to break up with her if she didn't. She spoke of the mounting tension between her and her mother over the relationship with Eddie. Ashley said the final straw was when, during an argument, her mother told her that she wished she'd been aborted. And another thing that came to light
3: that didn't look so good for Eddie, one of Ashley's brothers eventually recalled something that Eddie had said to him a month before Brenda's murder. Brandon Dye said that sometime in the month prior, Eddie had said to him, quote, I wish your mother was dead. It would make life a whole lot easier.
4: And Eddie was eventually arrested when he was confronted with all of these texts that he had sent between him and Ashley. And the specific language of some of the text messages showed that he was complicit and even encouraged Ashley to kill her mother. And remember, we talked about that when she had texted him and said, But if I freeze, I'm nervous like fuck. And then he responded, stop talking about it. Do it. Just do it. Yeah. Um, But Eddie claimed that he and Ashley had spoken on the phone on the day of the murder. And it was on those calls that he told her not to kill her mother. And he waffled in the story, though, because by the end of his interrogation, he said that, quote, nobody could get through to Ashley but him. And that he could have stopped her. So he really was saying that, you know, he was controlling her. Yeah. You know, she, she was certainly able to make her own decisions, but he was pushing a lot of the buttons. Yeah. So uh, he was charged with being an accessory to both first degree murder and using a firearm in the commission of a felony.
2: And then I had also been told that before Eddie was arrested as an accomplice, Somebody saw him at a local ice cream, like outdoor hangout that is pretty popular in the area, that he was there and he was talking to a bunch of people there about it and almost like bragging. I don't think the person said that he admitted to doing it himself, but I just remember him being explained to have had this weird air of confidence and like no guilt, and which I found weird because I mean, your girlfriend, who you claim to love and who told me she would have run away with you if she had to, um, you know, was now in prison. I I would be horrified. I would be extremely emotional. I wouldn't want to be going out to a local hangout spot and hanging out with my friends and laughing and having a good time. I just remember all of these rumors for me and my little psychology brain at the time confirming like my biases basically confirming that yeah there's absolutely no way in hell that it was her Audrina found herself
5: in total denial she would come up with her own narratives about what had happened she could not accept or believe that her best friend did this one two that she did this and her best friend who is herself did not see a single red flag that could have suggested that she was in any trouble. And she really beat herself up about this.
2: Oh, yeah. There there was a million ways that could happen in my mind that didn't involve Ashley. I had spun this whole narrative. And I I don't know. I, I pieced this information together from you know, little stories I hear, newspaper clippings I see. And I think I, like, spun this weird narrative in my head that, like, no, okay, what really happened was she was actually at work when this all went down. She was at Best Buy, and that's, like, 15.8 miles away from her house. So there's no way she could have done it because then they found a receipt in the trash can for, you know, a fish sandwich at McDonald's, and that was two miles up. You know, so I had this whole calculated proof in my mind that it couldn't have been her. And then on top of that, I don't know what is true and what is false. Um, Well, I remember hearing two rumors. Whether they're true or not is beyond me, but I remember hearing that her neighbors claimed to see some bloody male running around at night. And, I mean, Ashley is very distinctly not a male. I mean, she's very... Blonde hair, blue eyes just curvy like there's no way you could have mistaken her for a guy. Um, you know it could have been you know thinking about it all these years later. it could have been you know her dad after maybe holding her mom after finding her who, who knows but in my mind I was like nope that that clarifies it in my mind it wasn't Ashley it couldn't have been Ashley she's not a man she doesn't look like a man. her neighbor saw the killer. Like I, I said, I kind of detached from this. So after it happened, I had these thoughts and then kind of went into a bubble. Like I stopped reading the news. I completely stopped looking at social media. I, you know, I, I, I hid. And it was still the summer when this was going on. So luckily, I didn't have to see anyone in school. The reality of what was
5: happening and what has happened was setting in for Audrina. But it was summer at this time. She still had a few months before she had to go back to school. And right when she was sort of adjusting to what had happened, she had to go back to school. And she hadn't had to face any of her classmates or really face the reality of what had happened until then.
2: I remember uh, specifically the first week back at school. I didn't even expect it. I don't think I was prepared. I wasn't dreading going back to school by any means I didn't think that it would be you know the talk of the town it was a thing that had happened in my life and I was ready to be normal and try to go back to school of course I still remembered it you know but totally repressed it and so I remember sitting at a table It, it was on the first day of school I remember somebody bringing it up and this was the first time it was ever brought up to me I Honestly, don't think I talked to anyone about it other than my friend, whose brother was a cop, because she told me about it, and then my mom. But even my mom didn't really want to talk about it much. I mean, it's just, like, who wants to even know that your daughter was hanging out with somebody who could do something so terrible? Um, So, yeah, this was the first time that I was approached about it. I, like, immediately froze. I didn't, I don't think I even responded to this person. I just, of course, probably said, no, that's not how it happened. You don't know what you're talking about. But I think I just walked away. And then I uh, had this, like, weird moment where it started to hit me that maybe this might be a bigger deal than I was thinking it would
5: be. Those who knew the dyes had no idea that there was any darkness or trouble brewing just under the surface of their sort of perfect veneer. On Brenna's Facebook page, there were countless photos of Ashley. This is a woman who appeared to really love her daughter. It was the family, it was their pets, there were holidays. Under many of these pictures, Ashley would leave messages and comment and say things like she's the best mommy in the world i love you and daddy like it seemed like everything was fine
4: so eddie actually faced more charges and eddie's phone was confiscated and the police found more than just incriminating texts on his phone they found many many explicit photos of ashley and you're thinking all right well you know, he's up on these murder charges, but I think, you know, this is what happened. So the pictures were taken when Ashley was 17 and Eddie was 19. So the DA decides to charge him with seven child pornography offenses. These charges alone carried a potential prison term ranging from two to 10 years, but it would also potentially give him a bad reputation in prison.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
5: Not only that. So what I thought was super interesting, and this always is obviously contingent upon the state's laws, but... My theory here is that the state actually believed he is responsible. I think they looked at her history and they couldn't say she didn't do it because she pulled the trigger. But I think this is validating in that they know this was the catalyst. She was a perfect child. And. They're going to give him as much as they can. And I think there's probably something as far as he didn't pull the trigger. There's only so much that they could charge him with based on their laws. So they could charge him with accessory after the fact or before the fact or both conspiracy. They can't charge him with first degree murder. So in lieu of that, they're just adding anything they can on him. Yeah. Which includes, I mean, that's a two years... Seventeen and nineteen. I have never heard of that. I've. Yeah,
3: it's no. pretty crazy.
4: Yeah.
5: But they're like, you know what? It's a technicality, but we're going to get you on it. Yeah. Because the, we're going to give you it. all the years we can. Yeah. And
4: and the stigma of being a child pornographer in the prison is not a good one.
5: No. Ashley ended
3: up opting not to go to trial, and she pleaded guilty to first-degree murder using a firearm.
5: A young Stafford woman has pleaded guilty to murdering her own mother. She's 18-year-old Ashley Nicole Dye. She was 17 when the murder took place last July. Prosecutors say Ashley got into an argument with her mother, Brenda Dye, and shot her. According to court evidence, there was friction between mother and daughter over Ashley's boyfriend. Ashley Dye will be sentenced in April.
3: And Judge Sarah Danike's sentence exceeded the recommended state sentencing guidelines, which called for a maximum penalty of 35 years and three months in prison. She said during the proceedings, quote, your mother's only crime was that she didn't like your boyfriend. The judge said that prior to pronouncing judgment, quote, this is the very definition of pure, unmitigated and unprovoked malice. And Ashley's father spoke too. he said, Ashley knows she made a mistake. She got swayed by Mr. Tuning and went the wrong way.
4: When Ashley heard that she would be spending 48 years in prison, she sobbed and her knees buckled as she stood up. And she could be heard wailing as bailiffs led her back to the holding cell.
5: And while Ashley did plead guilty, Eddie's role in the slang of Brenda Dye was way less clear. Because physically he didn't pull the trigger. And so he decided to take his chances at trial. And interestingly, one of the star witnesses testifying would be Ashley herself. So Ashley said a lot of things during this testimony. One of the things she said was that Eddie threatened to break up with her if she didn't kill her mother, like we said earlier. So she is implicating Eddie on the stand in this way. But she also said things like her mother caused her to miscarry several weeks before the murder by hitting her in the stomach.
4: I mean, th- this is the second time that she's that she's trying to throw um, uh, some sort of cause back at the mom because she said that the mom said, "I wish you were yeah. aborted," and then she said, no, you to, try th- to give th- th- me th- an th- abortion." So, yeah. yeah. So. Um,
5: no, it's interesting. Mm.
4: Okay. So, what did the jury think? Eddie was ultimately convicted of first-degree murder and use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. These convictions were based on his participation as an accessory before the fact to his girlfriend's murder of her mother. And he was sentenced um, on July 6, 2012, almost a year to the day after Brenda died. And he was sentenced to 35 years with 10 years suspended for the murder and three years for the firearm offense.
5: All right. So we've been peppering in our opinions on this. And I do think this is one that is super interesting because... Ashley did pull the trigger. Ashley was familiar with guns. Ashley loved her mom so much. And I'm just trying to imagine being in the throes of like a hormonal teenage brain and being madly in love, like in the hysteria that comes with that. But I really do think that everything was fine until Eddie showed up. And while... You have to be a little bit, have something in you to be able to be swayed to do something like this. I still am always like what Jack said earlier. It's like your brain is not developed. You don't understand long-term consequences and you don't understand long-term emotional consequences.
4: Your brain is not evolved. And I get that. And I think it's more about well, like we were saying before about the fantasy aspect of it is that you're wrapped up in this because even while they were saying this, they were even while they were plotting it, even when they were saying, do it, just do it. They were saying, I love you I, over and over again. I love you. I love you. This was part of the of the, the romance. it was
5: lusty. And it,
3: but OK, but I have like a little di- As lusty and as fantastical and as romantic as that is and as young as you are when you're 17 and as undeveloped as your brain is, would you have ever been convinced to kill your mom? No, No. But that's what I'm saying. There is some kind of a darkness that lives inside of you that goes beyond you getting convinced by like a high school lover.
2: I guess they have evidence and the text messages I... There's no denying the evidence, right? But it's almost like she dissociated. She would have had to. There's no way she was such a good friend, such a lighthearted person, no drama, carefree. Everything was so easy with her. No woe is me, no, you know, suicidal, homicidal thoughts ever. Part of me thinks she must have had this, an alter ego must have done it. If, If it had to have been her physical human being that did it, it couldn't have been her physical mind.
4: So the Die family had suffered an unbearable loss in not just losing Brenda, the mom, but losing Ashley too.
2: I, I can't even imagine what her father and brothers felt. I have no idea. And I... I can't even say I empathize with them. I don't even think I would know how to feel that emotion. You know, I, if your family member is killed by a third party person who you didn't know or had loose contact with, it's one thing, but to be your own blood, I, I have no idea what they must have felt. Um, I wish that there was something I could have done. I. You know, wish that there was something I could have given them or some explanation or something. I don't know if it's a normal thing to hate your family member for committing such a crime or being confused. I don't know what the normal reaction would be for them, but whatever their reaction was, it was warranted. There's no textbook way to respond. You know, and I just feel so sorry for them. That must be so confusing. I hope that they've spoken to her. I don't know if they have. I I don't know if they want to. I don't know if that's what's right for them as far as healing goes. But I just hope that, you know, resurfacing this doesn't hurt them any more than the hurt that they've already experienced. Because I, I want to empathize with them, especially, you know, knowing them and the family. I, I wish... I could even know what they're going through, but I just kind of had to distance myself, and I I still think about it all the time. You know, it's difficult for Ashley. You know, having been influenced in the way she was, and having done what she did, and having the remorse after it. You know, all of it is a huge tragedy. It's a nightmare. Everything that you know she experienced and she did is terrible, but. Yeah, her family is the one that's left with the repercussions, too. So Ashley and
5: Eddie are in prison. And while they're alive, they are gone to those who knew them in the way that they knew them. And they are in a purgatory of sorts. Eddie and Ashley have prison lives now. Lives so far removed from those who knew them before they committed the ultimate crime. And Ashley has a profile
3: on the site Paper Dolls, and here's what her bio says: My name is Ashley Die. I'm seeking pen pals, new friends, and/or romantic interests. I'm a fun-loving, vibrant, sweet woman who gets a little lonely at times. I'm currently pursuing my associate's degree in general studies. I love learning new things, and I'm always up for a new challenge. My interests include sports, books, movies, guitar, music, and literature. I love to write and I enjoy receiving mail and emails. I believed in being in the moment and never wasting time. I leave you with my favorite quote of mine. Quote, I sometimes think the gods have united human beings by some mysterious principle, like according to notes in music. Or is it as Plato supposed that souls, originally one, have been divided and each seeks the half that it is lost? Cynthia Maria Child.
2: I have always felt guilt for not writing her. I wanted to, for the longest time, I was trying to build myself up to go see her, to go visit her. Some people had talked me out of it and I was easily persuaded because I think I was just scared to face her. Um, but I haven't spoken to her since everything happened and I've kind of felt still so guilty about that. I, I came across her Inmate paper dolls, paper dolls account. But when I read that caption, it's like I could hear it in her voice, and um, I got full body chills. And I'm not really easily moved, so uh, that was the first time I had ever seen a recent correspondence from her. And even to see her, you know, saying she's getting her associates, and she quoted this amazing work of or i don't even know i've never even written that or read that quote anywhere it it hit me and um i felt guilt when i saw it because the first line says that he gets a little lonely and that was like kind of back to the guilt thing that i was feeling at the earlier phase of finding this out um oh my gosh she's there she's alone she's feeling lonely she's still a human with human emotions, and she's, you know, been painted as these murderers that you hear about in all these documentaries, and then you have, you have no remorse for them. I can tell you all the episodes I've listened to of your podcast, I have no human emotion or, you know, warm feeling towards any of the perpetrators. But with her, it's like, when you know them, and you know, who they are and or you think you know who they are it, it hurts you know it hurts like you've lost them and i don't know
4: so this is our first ever first degree where we have a best friend of the killer and and th- You know you you can really feel it in her and what she's saying how this was my friend like you were saying my friend friend. listen to best friend Mm -hmm. listen to taylor swift doing all this stuff closest person in my life and then they do this horrific thing and she can't bring herself to even reach out to her um and you know when we were talking about in the beginning when you introduced this case how the friendships that you have in high school are so ridiculously strong often and you think that those are going to be, you know, friends, forever. friends forever. And then that led into, okay, what could happen? Then you get go in with a bad boy with this one. It's, um, it's something that we've never really had a first degree connection like this before.
5: No. And I think that it was just jarring. And I think she's expressed this a little bit. She feels guilty. She's like, how did I not see this? I saw her days before and she just seemed her normal, happy, loving self. And I think she beats herself up a lot and I don't think she should because.
4: Yeah. How would you ever know? How
5: would you ever know? Yeah. It's such a confusing group of years. You don't even know yourself. How can you read something in someone else?
4: Yeah. And you probably, and we always think back on cool moments in high school and think back, Oh, that was fun. Or that, you know, and
5: Really, oh, I don't her, have that many.
4: Else. Yeah, I don't really have that many either. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Me
5: too. I hated high school. I was so happy to be out. Yeah, have any t- friends in high school? That's all
4: I wanted to do was get out of high school. But you know, some people a lot of but times. Everybody else. Everybody had else high has school. that, right. except for us here. Um, all of those memories are tied into her, probably. You know, yeah. and having to, you know, how do how do you process that, and how do you you know how do you deal with that? So, yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, this woman. You know, feel, feels very guilty. Our first degree connection feels guilty and and has lost a friend. But let's not forget. Brenda. Brenda. Of course. Yeah.
5: And there's really no denying that the emotional implications of a crime like this are complex to see at the very least. Imagine one day you are tie-dyeing T-shirts with your best friend. Taylor Swift is blaring in the background. And the next day, she's gone. You never hear from her again. You never talk to her again. You never see her again. All you see is mugshots in the news. How would you feel in this situation?
2: I think the reason I wanted to share my story mainly was because it's never been a story. It's never been a start to finish set of events that made sense to me. And I think what compelled me to... Talk to you guys was that I'm interested to see how you'll tell the story and maybe it will resonate with me and give me the closure that, you know, I've never gotten or help me accept what has happened. I listened, binge listened to all of the episodes in preparation to finally talk about this. And there was one that was very similar and just hearing the first degree recount her experiences kind of gave me the courage to, and also um being the only one that I know that has ever been somewhat linked to a murder, it, it kind of made me feel like there is a community of us experienced this at a young age, and it definitely molded me into being like having trust issues and not really forming close friendships because you never really know the person you're friends with. Part of me is like, well, nobody else can relate to me except for the other people that speak out. So maybe like everything that I've been to will then help the next person cope and reach out and process everything that they've experienced.
3: Well, thank you, Audrina, so much for being our First Degree Connection. Um, We really appreciate your vulnerability and telling us your story. If anybody else has a story they'd like to tell, please email us. Hello at podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Fanick. Join our super secret Facebook group and go get some merch while you're at it. And uh, stick around because we're going to kill some time and act like idiots.
4: So remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close
3: but not that close. Happy saying day. Dude fuck that day. Happy. Yeah, okay. All right, welcome to Killing Time. This week, we're going to talk... Well, you know, we're trying to like flush out or flush out which is the right one i mean, i would say flush out we're trying to flesh out the idea for today's killing time and we keep going back to haunted houses because i think number one we had the best time ever at house of creep and we keep talking about it I did. and i think for today's episode we want to talk about what would be in each of our own personal haunted houses
4: and what you mean is not necessarily what our ultimate haunted house would be we're not creating a haunted house because i have plenty of ideas of what my haunted oh, house God. would be
5: okay yes. here comes the monologue
4: but what what we're talking about here is what our ultimate horrors would be if somebody wanted to yes. really scare us really depress us really make us miserable what would that room that pit of despair whatever what would that be like
3: i think first of all we should start In a round table. And, like, what is your fear? Like, I have a bunch of funny ones right now, but what is your, like, what's your, what are you afraid of? Death. Well,
4: (laughs) are you afraid of bees? Uh, No, I'm not afraid of bees. Or
3: snakes? Not afraid of snakes.
4: You know what? I don't like small spaces. Okay. But I don't. It's,
3: like, slightly claustrophobic, but not really.
4: Slightly claustrophobic. No heights. uh, No, I'm I'm good with heights. Growing up as a house painter, son, you know, I had to climb up.
3: So um, nothing nothing in the norm of phobias.
4: No, I'm okay in crowds. I just don't like people.
3: Lexus? Tsunamis. Mm. You know what? My my like recurring nightmare that I have is being killed by a gigantic wave.
5: Tsunami? You don't like them either. But I love the
3: ocean and I love swimming and it doesn't scare me whatsoever. Love yeah. a body surf. No, I love the ocean. I. But in my mind, I I'm going in a day after tomorrow. Gigantic waves smashing on top of. Which me. I saw
5: Deep Impact as a kid and it was just like the image of I think there was a wave going over the um, Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and was also a day after tomorrow. Right. <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, I'm so always good. close. It's just. Almost like the clarinet and the alto sax thing with Kenny G. <laughs> Wait, did we did we figure out what Kenny G plays? Obviously, he plays the alto sax, but yeah. I think it's a clarinet. He's a like it's a clarinet it, ripoff. It
4: looks like a clarinet, he, but it's gold. It's too girl.
5: It was too girly, so he didn't want to play the clarinet. So he had to inv- like oh the alto He's really a, trying to hold is on still to the masculine a sax. energy. This is still a sax. I'm like yeah yeah, yeah okay. That's, <laughs> you were the Pied Piper. That is a, that is a recorder. <laughs> A recorder. recorder why didn't anybody play that yeah why is there not because a always every fourth yeah. grader played
4: a recorder exactly yeah
5: because they had to make us musically inclined because it did good things for your brain and
3: most people were too stupid to play real instruments i played the french horn i think i also just mentioned that in like a podcast last week
5: Did I talk about it on this one? I I did because I told you about all my instruments and you
3: denied me. I think it was when we were talking about Kenny G, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, um, so you're scared of tsunamis. Yes. I'm
4: scared of Kenny G, I think. Actually, that is when we we wrote this down of the things that we're scared of. I put Smooth Jazz, which is pretty damn close to Kenny G. Yes, I promise.
3: So your haunted house would just have a room of...
4: Of, me, of, of KG listen-
3: multiples playing smooth jazz. Yes. Smooth jazz doesn't relax you.
4: No. Look, right <gasps> right there. Look. Smooth jazz, it's right there. And then right next to the red hot chili peppers.
5: <laughs> <laughs> red hot chili peppers isn't bad. It's like it's Creed.
4: Mm.
5: Ever, I I mean,
3: I hate Nickelback. The red hot. I, I like Nickelback better than Nickelback. red hot chili peppers. I like Thank red you. hot chili
5: peppers better. Phonograph. Oh that's a good song. I don't know if that's Nickelback or Creed.
4: I would be Nickelback. Are you
5: like colluding with my father he loves that music I I don't I don't hate it
3: I like it ironically it's not like I'm gonna put on a Nickelback CD or or a Spotify maybe I would I don't know (laughs) but it's definitely not in my house of
4: horrors all right yeah no I did have smooth jazz so that's a good segue into um okay so what would be let's go into your your house of horrors
3: okay well first your pit. before i i don't want to go first but i will pull up a meme that i found today that i thought was pretty relevant. i'll go first okay but let me pull up the meme absolutely it says a haunted house but audio recordings of all the conversations you had while blackout <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> how, like how bad would that be how bad would that be like when you think you sound so smart and you're having these like deep connections with people blackout drunk you sound like a a fucking idiot fool fool or does that make you cringe what
5: would even be worse is just like a haunted house and all the walls are tvs and it's you crying on the phone with boyfriends (gasps) from the past and what you were saying in like throws of emotional rage oh my god Oh, you know what? One
3: Okay, this is a good one. Mine would be TV screens, but all the text messages that I had sent to guys that I was dating after I took an Ambien. Because they are weird. All guys that I was casually dating that ghosted me immediately after it
5: happened. No, the worst thing would be the TVs on the walls again. And it's every guy you've ever dated and the things they said about you after. (gasps) Or to their To their friends. Oh! <laughs> or to their new girlfriends
3: to assure oh, them. No, everything that your ex-boyfriend has said about you to, to his
5: a, new girlfriend and their and friends. Oh. Yep, so good. Or
4: <laughs> Billy, I'm just getting a lot of ideas here. For,
5: everything
4: <laughs> for Christmas presents.
5: Everything the parents who didn't like you said about you when you were together. <sighs> It's basically all of like, <laughs> like our insecurities
3: with our significant others. <laughs> right. Okay, Alexis, you go first. What's in yours?
5: Oh, man. I just put my phone down. Okay. I know the first one was mosquitoes. <laughs> um, By the way, Alexis is extremely allergic to mosquitoes. I don't know if you guys know this about me. Um, I get a, a black and bru- blue bruise under every mosquito bite. So I look like... i It's I've odd. Been- Beat up! I'm so allergic. They turn into like golf ball size welts. So, mosquitoes. I am a psycho about them in my house. Um, So, and they buzz at night when you're trying to sleep.
4: All right. So this means that you would never live probably in the south or or in Los
5: Angeles where they are, or New York where I grew up.
4: They're They're, they're but they're barely here. That is not no
3: compared to the Midwest. They're everywhere here or the South.
4: Compared to the Midwest or the South, they're in
5: my car all the time.
4: Well, that's How? because I don't Jack know. is planting them there,
5: mm-hmm. right?
4: Just to keep you. On I knew the
5: level. it. I don't know for what reason. I knew it. <laughs> so, anyways, mosquitoes are one. Wool sweaters, Ooh, itchy. the itchiest clothing. <gasps> oh, oh my god, there a ever tight was wool, wool while you're sweating. Turtleneck while you're sweating and your skin's dry and you're like a little mm-hmm. anxious. You're already just itchy for being alive. Mm-hmm. Uh. Um, Moscato wine only for a <laughs> beverage. <laughs> Moscato wine only. That's terrible. You'll just have a headache your entire life. Yep. And you'll be like not drunk enough to be numb, but like. It will never get you drunk. It'll only get you hungover. And tired. Yeah. Um, Super close talkers with bad breath. That was on mine. It was. That was on mine. Super close talkers, bad breath. And in this place. There'd be food everywhere, but no floss anywhere. Ooh. And the food would be just three days expired and dairy products. That's so not So it's like, it's like questionable. Like, will this kill me? Like, will I throw up? It smells fun, but it's, the expiration date is three days it's a past. a funky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The walls would be suede because I hate, hate the feeling suede? of suede. suede? I hate suede. Oh, my God. I hate suede. I'd have to wear pants all the time. Yep. I don't wear pants. Um, there'd be cockroaches. It smelled like a mixture between citronella and cat piss.
4: <laughs> wow!
5: And then there were specific. There well, you know be... what's
4: what's weird about that. Let me let me unpack that for a second. Citronella is obviously so what you use to fight. I hate it. The mosquitoes. I know,
5: and I have to use it all the time, and I smell mm. like citronella all the time. That's why I hate it. But I do it for self preservation, so I don't get malaria mm. or Zika. Mm.
3: Anyways
5: here, but okay. My final thing is there would be Blasted music um, That would be That song Elephants and woozles are very <laughs> Confusals but so loud That like you can't even think And then there would be a bowl of glitter With all mm. different colors And my hands would have sticky stuff on it And I'd be made to separate it
3: Oh Wow
5: That's my haunted house
3: Okay. That is scary. I know. Okay. Should I do mine? Yes. In my haunted house, there would be food, but all of the food has garlic in it and also cilantro in it. Two things that I hate and I cannot eat whatsoever. Cilantro tastes like soap. Do you have the cilantro gene?
4: Um, does I don't it taste know, like no. soap to you? <sighs> I don't know. I don't think so because I've never really. Had you don't know the so. so, Then you don't have it. it yeah.
5: I didn't have it until Jack said something. I'm like, so that's a dial. Cool. Good that's luck true. from now on out. Eating I cilantro. Will,
4: I will say, though, that I just, uh, I got, I saw this pack of nerds. You know, nerds?
5: Do I know nerds? Yeah. Yes, but we don't eat candy, Billy. We're adults.
4: All right. But I saw. <laughs> we care
3: about her health. I, I saw love, I love a that new... meme, the spooky nerds. We prefer the term goths.
4: <laughs> <Scott's, yeah. laughs> <laughs> but they said, um, uh, it was like lime and pineapple, new flavors. And I mm. swear to God, I tasted it and it tasted like throw up. Sorry, nerds. Ooh. It really did. So the fact that you're, you're saying that right now, I have the nerds gene. Maybe, maybe that says, that's sad. Once you turn 40, uh, nerds taste like throw up.
3: Yeah. I, I bet they
4: probably always taste like throw up. 20, just never 23, 23 and me will tell you if you have a right. nerd gene.
3: Okay. My haunted house would smell like a spilled vodka Red Bull.
5: Mm, I don't hate vodka. I Red Bull. Red Bull smells bad. I I'll give you that. Hate it. It smells like a hangover. It just reminds me of being
3: eighteen. Right. Not even twenty-one. That's what I was drinking when I was eighteen. It's not good.
5: Um, we were drinking Goldschlager at twenty-one. <laughs> I was. We were. We were living together. We were drinking we have, Goldschlager. We
3: the Goldschlager was pre Fireball. We called it Christmas morning because it tastes, tastes like, like Christmas, Christmas morning, morning, and we drink All about the time. a bottle a night. Yeah.
4: Really? Yep. Yeah.
3: And oh then there was God. there was all the rumors that the gold flakes cut up your lungs we or your, like, your esophagus oh, when you dangerous. drink it and it make you drunker. Yeah. It's <laughs> so really like, yeah. And no, we were into that. Okay. Anyways, my screens on my walls would be playing Friends on repeat. Right.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's gonna people are gonna talk about Dude, that. You have gone was- at
3: me hard with the anti-friendship. <laughs> Honestly, I just started following a new meme account called Shithead Steve, and he goes hard against friends, and I just Ooh, think it's so funny. I feel like you're like going after me. I'm you not know going I after you, I'm going after every friend's fan. Right. Um there would be bare feet touching me Ew. at all times.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Just touching my whole body. I think I have a foot phobia. I'm very scared of feet. Um, and then like you, I'd be wearing skinny jeans and I have a thing where I just can't have my calves. I can't have stuff on my calves. Like Uh-oh. these socks in your calves right now are freaking are me you out. Kidding? I, I love this. Especially a legging and a sock. I can't do it. Oh, it feels so warm. No, I want no constriction on my calves. I love a calf constriction. Cause I have such little ankles. <laughs> so you
2: want them to show. <laughs> you want them so to cute. show.
3: No, I don't want it. I, I hate it. You it want people wanna... to think you have cankles. I got it. I mean, I feel like I have cankles.
5: <laughs> you don't.
3: Um, but it's not even that. I just hate things. You have skinny legs. Thank you. Um, and then the last thing that I had is there would just be people whispering inspirational quotes into my ear.
4: <laughs> really? What's wrong with inspirational I quotes? I hate an inspirational quote. Really?
3: People Successful people never post an
4: inspirational quote. I don't think that's true.
5: Successful people keep the secrets to themselves.
4: I don't think that's true either. I think mm. I both believed, of them are I true. I believe Tony Robbins is quite successful. Tony Robbins is.
3: is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Absolutely. Okay, Billy, what's on yours? All right. Well, you guys had a lot more time to think about this because no, we no, it. we didn't. Wait, wait, wait. No, when it's
5: I d- when she said, "Okay, let's write this down." I thought about them right on the spot.
4: Really? I thought you guys so were talking. we okay. No, well, we
5: didn't know what we were going to agree to do on okay, today's killing. We
4: we're going to
3: talk plan. about the McCam McCammy. McCammy. We we're going to talk about the McCammy Manor. That's what prompted this whole thing. That's right. But now we're going to try to do a and whole it, episode
4: y- about yes, it. Yes, but if any if any listeners have actually been to the Manor where you yes. have to sign the waiver, uh, please contact us. Please, please, please. Yes. Um my uh haunted house, I brought it up already, smooth jazz playing. Okay. A um this happens on airplanes a lot. Somebody with um, somebody farts. Somebody no, somebody with hairy arms touching my arm.
3: Ew. Ooh.
4: and uh or just any arm really, and then just <laughs> you know
3: I hate a slight personal touch. A slight personal
4: touch. <laughs> yeah. Stay yeah.
3: Back the fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also had on here just anybody constantly invading your personal space. You're in your bubble. This is what I love. Even not personally touching you. I love
5: you. about our friendship, Jacqueline, so much. You like, hug hello. And then we sit I don't very need- far away from each <laughs> other. <laughs> and I don't need to be touching you. Dude, I have some very cuddly friends. No. And I've just never been into that. Not I, with family. Not with... I've just very... Well, romantic partners is different. But that's sometimes... The, pretty cuddly with I'm, I'm with really men. cuddly yeah but with anyone else
3: see no I don't need to be touching you mm-hmm. okay belly
4: yeah continue uh smooth jazz playing and then
5: and then I'm there tickling you
4: no and then <laughs> me and
5: Alexis <laughs> are there just talking, talking to you
4: <laughs> I actually I had on my list Alexis and Jack not being there
3: oh, oh you did it i totally
4: did where yeah. is it for some reason it it got <laughs> erased okay Seriously. Yeah,
3: totally weird <laughs> that's, that's weird, it's weird how wait, that wait,
4: wait, wait, wait. yeah
3: are it's, you just pink are no, you writing I, I, it back I, into your I, phone I, no
4: i promise it was there but, okay billy whatever it sounds like a
3: fucking lie mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds a
4: like what did you just do <laughs> what
3: billy you look like you have a, a muscle on your arm right now oh there
4: it is right there oh what
3: not there being with Alexis and Jack that he just
4: wrote. <laughs> I did just write that.
3: And then,
4: and then fish. <laughs> I did I know. I have someone whistling smooth jazz, red hot chili peppers, fish, and then not being with Alexis but and But not Jack. fish
3: the band. Fish
4: the food. Yes. <laughs> or and the look, animal. that was created at 9.05. That was the last time that was edited.
3: Mm, I don't know if that's how that yes, works. Yes, it is how this that is works. This is one of Billy's Little White Lies. You know, <laughs> oh, my not, God. I just edited it, and it still says created at 9.05. No Billy's luck. a liar. Billy, that's <gasps> not how notes
4: work.
5: I don't care, Billy. Really. I believe did you. Did you just update it? Yes.
4: I just, uh, Look, edit us? right there. 927. That's what happened. Us not
5: mm-hmm. being there would be hell.
3: I don't <sighs> doubt your feelings. I know. You're so fun. You love us so much. Yes. We bring so much joy into your life. Yes. Tell us we were best friends. Tell us that we're best friends.
4: We're best friends. <laughs> mean it. Oh my <laughs> his, his voice just cracked. Put, just put the gun down. Mean <laughs> it. Put the gun down, Alexis. Yes, we're best friends.
5: Thank you.
3: Billy is so uncomfortable right now. No, Just, he's not.
4: Well, you listen, when you're staring down at I the am Billy's best friend.
3: And Billy <laughs> doesn't have any friends. Oh my God, Alexis, you need to stop trolling Billy like that. Can't.
4: Can't stop, won't stop. He's
3: got, look at Billy. That's him, he's a got, main reference. He's got Paul Holes. He's got Jacqueline. Okay, we're done with this. We've <laughs> killed a lot of time. We don't need to talk about Billy's friends. Yeah. Because it would be over really fast anyway.
4: Because
3: <laughs> <laughs> we already did. <laughs> hey. <Put up>. Hey. <laughs> okay Okay, well until (laughs) next week ta-ta did we have a sign off we still haven't figured it out
5: um that's showbiz baby that's showbiz baby yay oh i like your sound effects
3: thanks (laughs) i'll do it next week bye we're done that was a good killing time